0: resolutions, um, one of those, you know New Year's, well, that come, comes in one year and goes out the other, uh, I was going to make my New Year's resolution to take down the Christmas decorations, but I got beaten to it, yeah, that's awesome, um, uh, what's that, oh yeah, the summer at home. <laughs> um, uh no, I'm not going to say anything about family, <laughs> But um, I quite like this, my New Year's resolution is to stop putting my foot in my mouth all the time. I'll bet yours is losing weight, eh? <laughs> <laughs> the trouble with New Year's re- resolutions is we... Uh, what? No, look, it's a cartoon. It's okay, it's okay isn't it? Um, the trouble with new, my track record of these New Year's resolutions is keeping them. Um, because what is it that's magical about one day that changes everything, and um, for me, hasn't really worked. What kind of news resolutions do people make? Stop smoking. Stop smoking, that's a big one. Exercise more. Exercise more yep. Any more? Read your Bible more. Pray more. No one this is a religious sitting. Baptists. No one said stop drinking or drink less. But well, probably some people thought it. What else? Oh, yep. Stop drinking alcohol when you're driving on the road. Not ride by the when you the road. An, absolutely. You took a one step further. No drinking while you're driving on the road. Good call. Absolutely. I've made a bunch of New Year's resolutions and failed at most of them, I confess. And um, as I got older, I kind of went, New Year's resolutions? Ugh. But I found myself thinking about, well, what does the Bible have to say about this? And actually... It has nothing to say about New Year's resolutions, because it's not interested in the new year. But it has quite a lot to say about a desire for change. And so what I want to do is, um, is I want to give you some things from the Bible, but I also want to start by telling you a kind of harsh story. My apologies for the harshness of the story, but it is one that Jesus told um, You'll find it, I'm going to call it Scrooge's New Year's resolution, and you'll find it in um, Luke chapter 16, verse 19. And I'm not going to put the text up, so if you have a Bible handy or a smartphone or anything around that, failing that, you'll just have to assume that I am somewhere in the rough neighborhood of what Jesus said. Okay? So I call it Scrooge's resolution because, you know, most people have come across the Christmas carol in some rendition, that kind of thing. This rich guy who actually doesn't make a resolution. But if he did, what would he say? This rich guy, so this is Luke chapter 16, verse 19. He has the best of everything, the best clothes, the best cars, the best food, the best finery, and the latest, and he lives well. And at the time that Jesus told the story, this rich guy, it was assumed that if you were successful, it was because God, you had God's favor. It was assumed that God had been good to you, therefore you'd been good. So he's in public eyes, he's trusted God and he's upright. And if a rich person is going to make, a rich Scrooge figure was going to make a New Year's resolution, what kind of New Year's resolution might he make? Make more money. Because enough is never enough, absolutely. Make more profit. Buy a bigger house or a third house. yes. Yeah. Did you see in the paper somebody uh, fights with insurance companies about this mansion? Get more money out of the insurance company so that I can... Oh, yeah. Okay. so, Scrooge. These are the kind of um, resolutions that are very... Now, sorry, if you're rich, I'm not getting at you. But our stereotype of a rich person might have. And they tend to be centred on who? Ourselves. In fact, I think this is the fatal flaw of New resolutions. We think we can take control of our lives. We've actually made it about ourselves at the word go. OK, just down the road there lives a guy for whom nothing has gone right. His investments, if he had any, he failed, he's lost his job, he might be an alcoholic, his health is packed up and he lies on the side of the road begging. He has, the story tells us, wounds that won't heal, And and I'm not sure if the the person telling us the story is being very clever here, but the person tells us that dogs come up and lick from the wounds. And that's kind of got both the ooh factor, yuck, but there's a little bit, and this is probably drawing too long a bow, even in his I have nothing, he is in the act of giving to something else. Okay? It's kind of an ooh Um, analogy I know. And the bizarre thing about the story is in those days rich people got names and poor people weren't important and in this story that Jesus told our poor person gets a name. What's his name? Lazarus. Lazarus. Not the same Lazarus as the guy who was brought back to life, okay? This one's a story. Guy brought back to life, not just a story. Anyway, he should be nameless but the beggar gets a name and the rich man is nameless. And in the story they die. Short story, isn't it? A rich man the poor man. And it would be, but then in a scene straight out of uh, Charles Dickens kind of, go, you know, the ghosts of Christmas past? You cut to this scene and the rich man finds himself in an awful place they call Hades. And he can look up and in the distance in a much nicer place is the poor man sharing a meal with Abraham. One of God's main dudes as far as Jews were concerned. And so, first up, the rich guy asks Abraham, Can you send Lazarus down here with a cold one for me? Because it's pretty hot here and I'm pretty uncomfortable. And Abraham says, Mate, remember in your lifetime you received your good things, and Lazarus here just received bad stuff, and now he's comforted here and you're in agony. And then he goes on to say, it's not that simple to get from here to there. There's a chasm in place. So the rich guy in the story says, well, can you send Lazarus to warn my family? Funny how he's expecting this guy who was poor to be a kind of servant to him still. You do the scout work. Can you send Lazarus to warn my family, my five brothers? Now, there is a Jewish story that's going around about Jesus' time that's a little bit like this, where there's a messenger come back from the dead to warn people. So that's what the listeners are expecting, and Abraham says, yeah, nah, listen, they've got Moses and the prophets, let them listen to that. And the rich guy says, mate, they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, but they'll get it if someone comes back from the dead to tell them. And with a striking irony in the story that Jesus tells, Abraham says, nope, if they won't believe Moses and the prophets, even if someone rises from the dead, it won't be enough. And the story ends. Really odd story. It's a tough story because it's not a happy ending because Scrooge, who has lived successfully and probably gave TED talks and told people how to be successful, he probably has no idea that Lazarus lives next door. Lazarus isn't on his radar. This is why this is a tough story. Because if the rich guy is making a New Year's resolution, he's going to be ignoring the person next door, completely. And his resolution is going to be about here. And I found myself thinking when I was reading this, am I like Scrooge? What is the need of the people who live just next door? What am I doing about that? Because in this story, you get one chance, this life, to do something about the people in need around us. You got one chance, this life. Now, I'll tell you that story because it's uncomfortable, and it makes me uncomfortable. And now I want to tell you that I tried to go to the Bible and say, what has this got to do with us? And what I'm going to do is give you three remembers and then give us a bit of space to reflect, and that's what your piece of paper is about. Because actually I'd like you to be thinking about the year that's been, your life so far, and then... so a bit of time to reflect, and then I'm just going to talk about three hopes. Okay? Not for a New Year's resolution, but here's the thing about a New Year's resolution that works for us. People make New Year's resolutions out of a vision of who they think they want to be. That is available to us every day. We make choices that define who we're meant to be. So go to the Bible and ask that, and it gives us some helpful things. The first thing is, I'm just going to say it has three remembers. These are remembers, things that help place us that will mean when we're thinking about how I might want to change, they'll mean that they're earthed in something worthwhile. And the first one, is why we sing, Great is your faithfulness, and this is what I believe. The Bible talks about remembering what Jesus told you. you, talks about remembering that Jesus Christ, a descendant of King David, was raised from the dead. Paul keeps saying, Don't forget this, because in the tough times, when things aren't working right for you, this will pay off. The second remember makes us a bit more uncomfortable. The second remember is, well, how are you doing with the people around you? And this obviously is where the rich man wasn't doing so flash, eh? How are your relationships? And so Jesus says, you're going to take a a sacrifice at the altar. Hang on, if you've got stuff that you haven't reconciled with other people, you want to sort that. When we make resolutions, we tend to think about ourselves, but the Bible would say, actually, it's not all about you. There are others around you, and what's their state? In fact, oh I found out this week that um, we have an alcoholic living just down the road from us. Um, and kind of got a little bit involved in that, and now I actually have to do something about that, as best as I can. Because here are the things, some remembers, some of the shopping lists that come up from the New Testament, remember the poor, the ones you might skip, they are the Lazaruses. Remember your leaders, I stick that in there. Um, It's not always fun to lead. Remember those in prison. Anybody here know anyone in prison? Not many of us. Anyone know anyone who should be in prison? No, we're not going there. (laughs) I could see other people thinking it. We've got a connection. God wants us to remember who God is. God wants us to remember the people around us because that might affect who we need to be. And the third remember, for me, should it? Oh, oh, yeah, and there was a little line in here. Remember, Those, whoever spares, sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and who sows generously will reap generously, which is odd, but if you read that in the light of the Lazarus story, that kind of sings pretty loudly. That's... Okay. The third remember is one... There's a point in the Gospel of Mark when just after Jesus had fed a whole bunch of people, 4,000 people I think with seven loaves, and they start arguing about bread. And here's what Jesus says. Why are you arguing about having no bread? Don't you know or understand even yet? Are your hearts too hard to take it in? You have eyes, you can't see, you have ears, can't you hear? Don't you remember anything at all? when I fed the 5,000 with five loaves of bread, how many baskets of leftovers did you pick up afterwards? Now, it seems like a funny thing to quote except that what Jesus is saying have you forgotten what I just did? This is the bit of a New Year's resolution we should hold on to. What has happened in your life this year? Have you forgotten what God just did? There might be some pretty tough stuff in that. There might be great stuff, but don't forget it. If we forget what God has been doing amongst us, good and bad, the stuff that's happening around us, we end up with huge pipe dreams of we're going to be this or that or the other, but we're not connected with who we are. Remember who we are, what season you are in. So three remembers who God is. What was the second one? relationships around us. And the third one is what has God been doing? I'm gonna give us three minutes and a bit to think about that. And you've got a piece of paper and a pen you could write or draw or anything you like around that. Thinking about how things have been. This is the remembering what God has done so far. Then after that, we're gonna do three hopes. Then we're gonna sing some songs that are connected with that hope, okay? So there'll be a vid and a little bit of background music running. For those of you who like to look at things and just think, oh, I'd rather daydream, that's okay. Here's your chance. When Christians talk about worship, we talk about presenting ourselves to God. We can present who we are, what has happened. What is yet to happen, that's not ours yet. So, God, these scribbles and thoughts reflect what has been happening in our lives. We offer them to you. Okay, three hopes. Remember, I'm not telling you to make a New Year's resolution. (laughs) However, thinking about who you might want to be, who we might want to be. Because actually, it is a question of vision. Actually, it applies to us as a church. Who do we want to be? How do you think God would love us to be? Three hopes. First one's a bit odd. It happens because I remember reading through a, a, a scholar who said, Paul? there's one place where Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ, but the rest of the time he never says, look at the person next to you and compare yourselves to them. Never says that. What he says all the time is, remember who you were. Now that was easy. That's easy if you've become a Christian partway through your life. That's kind of easier than if, you think, if you've been a Christian all your life, as far as you can tell. Remember who you were... And look at how you have changed. If there's no hope in that for you, then that's worth paying attention to. For most people, there's some hope because you'll find that you've made choices that actually have been good. That actually the influence of God in your life, of Jesus in your life, has meant that you've made choices that you're proud of. There's some hope in this. And Paul was constantly, and probably this should have come under a member, constantly saying, don't forget who you are or where you are going. You've been named. You've been called. Um, I sat down, Jere- Jeremy said to me that he's been taking notes of his, on his phone, as we do, um, Whenever anybody has prayed for him or had a positive word to say in it, he writes it down so he can go back and remember what has God said. And actually, we're a church that believes that God can speak today through people. And that we can build each other up in this. It's actually worth doing. Building up. Asking God, have you got something to say? Remember relationships to someone else? Okay second hope for me comes to if jesus had a new resolution it would have been the one that was his uh, election manifesto when he got up and said what am i about reading from osiah the spirit of the lord is on me because he has anointed me so i have in some way we have in some way an anointing a measure of the spirit in us with a purpose and what's the purpose it is to bring good news to the poor remember the poor the the lazarus at our front door Or who works next door to us. What's good news to them? Hint, if they're hungry, that might be food. But you won't know if you don't know them, that being part of the challenge. Recovery of sight for the blind. That one's a tougher one. To set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Favour being, God loves you, likes you, is for you. This... There's hope in this because this is the business of God, the business of Jesus. And the last hope is going to lead us to sing some songs. Now I'd like you to, I've got the piece of paper with half of it about hope. I don't know how to describe this. In the middle of Ephesians there is a, a passage, and apologies for the, this is, can't, can't hear then, here and there and kind of all over the place sermon. At the beginning of Ephesians, there's this prayer that Paul uses where he says, I keep asking the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, to give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, and could have been revelation, revelation, so that you may know him better. And then he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance. Okay, the phrase that leaps out to me, The eyes of your heart may be enlightened. What's that? I'm a head guy up for a lot of things. I think stuff through. That's not the same as the eyes of your heart being enlightened. Something happening here that lifts you, lifts us, and gives us hope. Something that is not, I don't think it's about switching this off, but is more than this. That was Paul's prayer. I, I've been chewing over that this week and thinking, well, what is that? I actually think in uh, many charismatic churches, that's been the history of music, worship music, is what we're wanting is that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, the eyes of our hearts, that we may hope beyond the norm, And it's something that's more than our head thinking. And I don't know how to do it, but the good news is that God does. And I don't know how God will do it in your lives, but my prayer is that God will. Because there is this third hope where despite the circumstances, and we have to remember That tough as our lives might be, most of the early Christians who were the first readers of these letters, they were on the run from the authorities, churches were being shut down, many of them were working as slaves in situations where they'd never have a way out. What hope is there for them? Well, you'd say pretty much none, except they found this tremendous hope because somehow their hearts hoped for the more and you, remembering that Jesus died, hit the worst and rose. That still applies to us. So, the other bit of the paper is for you to think about what you would hope for this year and turn it into the prayer. We're going to sing a couple of songs about hope. and There'll be a bit of space. In that mix, so I can have. Um, I'd like all of us to be thinking not so much about New Year's resolutions, but where have I been? What has the year been like? Reflecting on that, but looking forward, what am I hoping for? As a church, we're going to be going on a visioning exercise. I'll be a bit upfront about what I hope for, but actually, I would really encourage you to be so too. Vision doesn't belong to a person; it belongs to God. And in the Baptist context, we think that actually everybody has bits of it, and that by talking about this stuff, we start to figure out, "Oh, actually God's really put this on our hearts." Right? It's not just a one-person thing, it's because it's not about the one person, it's about the God that calls us. So I'd like to invite you to stand. We confess, God, that we don't always get it right. There are things in our past that we are ashamed of. And we're grateful that when we ask forgiveness, you forgive. You are the God that holds the future, our future and all futures in your hands. This moment now of singing and not a lot of agenda, we would love to see your spirit enlighten the eyes of our hearts. And if not now, then today.